Lunchtime Heroes is brought to you in part by Calavo Growers, the family of fresh. Superior fresh, salmon as it should be. Volcano produce, erupting with freshness. And by Moxie Marketing, we build brands. Hey, everybody. Hello. How are you? Welcome. Welcome to this new adventure that Todd Versations is taking on with our friends at the Chef Ann Foundation. We have got a project called Lunchtime Heroes that we are so excited about. I am just, I am so touched and thrilled with this opportunity that we get to have to share with you the hard work that's being happened in our schools that are making a difference every single day in kids' lives. So we're going to highlight that. And we are so thrilled with our very first, our first, yep, she's number one. Somebody's got to be number one. And Aaron gets to be number one. We are so thrilled to be launching this program and to be sharing with you. And I hope you're inspired by this. I hope it makes changes. I hope you start conversations in your own school districts with your teachers and your PTA and whatever group you're in and make positive changes in our future through our children, because it is the best thing you can possibly do, I think, almost every day. So anyways, would you please, everybody, again, welcome to you all and welcome to Aaron, but would you please welcome from the San Luis Coastal Unified School District, the Food and Nutritious Service Director, please, everybody give it up for my friend, Aaron Primer. Welcome. Thank you, Todd. I'm so excited to be with you today. It's absolutely a thrill. I'm, I'm, you know, we've chatted. I'm, I'm, you know, like I tell, I'm like a spider monkey on Mountain Dew right now. I'm so excited for this opportunity to share these messages and with all the different people that are going to be talking to around, around the country on the work that you all are doing to change kids' lives through the cafeteria and talk about what that means. So without further ado and me spouting off and getting all emotional, which I probably end up doing eventually about this because I love this topic so very much. Would you tell everybody a little bit about just about yourself and what your role is and what you do? Yeah, definitely. So my name is Erin Primer. I have been the food service director at San Luis Coastal Unified School District for the last six years. I have always worked in institutional food. Uh, my first job, I was a Thai specialist at Marie Callender's, and I have never been able to get out of the kitchen. Uh, I worked, uh, I interned where I went to college. I went to Chapman University down in Southern California. I uh, worked for Sodexo, the big food service provider, yeah. spent about a dozen years with them, learned the ins and outs of all the things. I did hospitals and universities and uh, schools and uh, everything in between. So uh, schools have really captured my attention. I have a background in catering and marketing and high-end dining. I even was the catering director at the San Francisco Zoo for a while. And, uh, you know, I just didn't understand why we weren't serving this level of quality to our to our kids. And now that I have kids of my own, it uh, it really hits home in ways that are more meaningful than I could have ever imagined. I can. Yeah. Believe me, that's why this is here. Right. I mean, it, it, it is it touches you and it touches yep. me. And I hope we touch a lot of people around the globe with this conversation. So let's get into it a little bit and talk about the work that you're doing and, and where things are at. Let's frame up a little bit for everybody, kind of what we're talking about. So if you wouldn't mind, can you tell me how many kids you're feeding a day, a week, a year type of scenario? Just give people some perspective. Definitely. So our district is on the central coast of California. Uh, kind of right in between LA and San Francisco. And we have about 7,500 students in the district. We're a K-12 district across three different cities, uh, San Luis Obispo, Los Osos, and Morro Bay. So San Luis Coastal is the coast part of our town. Uh, and between breakfast, lunch, and supper at qualified sites, we're serving about 8,500 meals a day. 
Uh, we're really excited that we've seen a huge increase in meal participation uh, since the pandemic. And coming back on site with kiddos, we've been able to serve far more meals than we ever have before. So we're really excited that we're able to touch so many students by feeding them just really awesome food. I absolutely love it. So let's, this is always a topic that I find amazing to ask or a question to ask folks like yourselves or people that are involved. How much, you know, how much do you have to spend per kid per meal? <laughs> that is a great question. Uh, I have always said that school food is a game of pennies. We count up all our little pennies and, you know, that's really what we have. What I will tell you is that uh, right now we are receiving more federal and state reimbursement for our meals than we ever have before. It's just over $5 per meal. It's about $5.30. And uh, that's for a lunch or a supper meal. And when we take that amount, we take about half of that right off the top for our labor. Uh, so if you're looking at about $253 for labor, that leaves me with just about $253 for everything else. That includes all of our food, every single thing from the entree to the fruits and vegetables, including the milk. It even includes the uh, packaging that it comes in, the boat or plate it's served on, the fork, uh, all of the things have to be included in that cost. Uh, it also includes our indirect costs. You know, we have to turn the lights on and, you know, there, there's just so many pieces that go into what we do. But the majority of it is really focused in food and labor. That's where that's where 90 percent of that budget goes. And then the rest would be supplied in some of those indirect costs. I, I think it's just amazing when you start to break down the math and people start to think to themselves, wow, that includes, and I got to say it because I just have, it includes a spork. Yeah, right. It does. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just amazing to me that to think, you know, and, and, and the whole purpose of this program, the whole purpose we want to talk about is think about that math. Go to the grocery store and imagine making a meal for two bucks, for two, I'm oh, fine, 250, call it 260. You're splitting hairs at that point. But it's and to feed a mind and to feed a body and to feed a soul and to feed somebody that's trying to learn and to have energy and, you know, let alone some of the sidebar issues that Friday may be the last meal, great meal they get before Monday. I mean, those are all things that are that are part of this equation that we're trying to draw attention to. So talk to me a little bit about the changes that you've made to your food program and especially how you've worked with the Chef Ann Foundation, some of the things you're doing. And if you wouldn't mind, just illustrate for us what's cooking. Oh, look, I made a funny joke. I, I didn't even try. That. that was perfect. I am on, I I am on it. fire today. I loved it. I loved it. Uh, well, it, it started with this whole idea of, you know, what is it that we're doing? What are we serving? And is it good? Is it what kids want to eat? Is it actually nourishing them? You know, what is the benefit of that item that we've decided to, to serve to our students? And you know, it is true that uh, local food can be more expensive, but it does not mean that it's a barrier to entering into our programs. We have to really look at this formula a little bit differently. Uh, when I took over this location six years ago, we were operating in the red. We were losing money. It was really difficult to make decisions that, um, you know, that looked at higher cost items or, you know, more expensive things, more local foods because we, were, we weren't making a ton of money. And the formula really comes down to meal participation. We are reimbursed for every single meal that we serve. So if we're not serving meals, we're not bringing in that additional revenue, we're not able to buy additional things. So starting with that, you know, what is it that's on our plate? What is the quality of that item? Do kids want to eat it? That's really how we started. Uh, we looked at, um, you know, something like pizza. We had 15 different kinds of packaged processed pizza on the shelves. And I said, okay, well, which is the good one? And the answer was none. 
So we had to really look at why are we serving it? Why are we serving right. something that we can't stand behind that that kids don't want to participate with? So when we look at this game of participation as almost just that, a game, we start looking at some of these pieces in the puzzle and you know, what is on that plate and how do I get kids to want to participate in that? Uh, are we offering fresh foods? Are we offering local foods? And we found here in San Luis County, we're a very heavy ag town. Uh, you see a lot of farms, a lot of, uh, you know, cows, there's a lot, you see a lot of things here. And so we knew that there was this abundance in our area. We just weren't necessarily really connected with what that looked like. So it started with uh, connecting with with partner organizations, the Chef Ann Foundation being one. Uh, we have a local uh, slow money, S-L-O money, slow, S-L-O-W, sorry, other way around, S-L-O-W money, S-L-O, slow money, slow. It's part of the Slow Food USA movement and really right. wanting to slow down our food system. This looks at uh, how we fund local food businesses. And so we really looked at where can we get these things? How do we access some of these local farm goodies? And uh, sometimes it meant I was at the farmer's market making these connections and networking and saying, hey, have you ever thought about selling to schools? And, you know, many, many of the businesses around here hadn't seen schools as viable partners. And I will tell you that over the last wow. six years, we certainly have changed that tune. Um, before the pandemic, there was a lot of, hey, this is cool and we want to buy some of these things and we'll make a splash here and there. Uh, but uh, when everything shut down, we realized, hey, if we don't lean into this and and really honor and uphold our local farmers and food businesses, they may not be here when we come out to the other side of this. So it was really important for us that as we were making choices of not just serving kids while they weren't in school, uh, but really the the items that we were sending home for families to enjoy, we we centered around a loaf of local bread, a block of local cheese, and in addition to the local produce that they were able to find. So when kids came back from the pandemic, uh, we have seen an increase by 52% of our meal participation, which is almost unheard of. That kind of growth doesn't just happen. And I think it's because families were really seeing school food for the first time over the pandemic. They were seeing these meals come home or these meal kits come home. You know, prior, you would ask your student, hey, what'd you eat at school today? And you might get a very simple answer. Um, but when those meals were coming home, parents were seeing firsthand the quality of those ingredients, the items that we were selecting. Plus, we were educating them about that. Hey, this came from this farm. And I think that built a lot of respect into our school meal program uh, at a time where I don't think that's what anyone was um, intending or expected to have happen. Unbelievable. Uh, it, it, it's You've said so many things. It's just like, I don't even know where to start with that. But I, <laughs> the one thing I have to come back to is, is Thinking to your point about farmers not recognizing the value that schools are to their business. And I think that to me is like, wow, there was just a two by four across the forehead moment right there. Um, incredibly impactful. Well, then let's talk about, if you don't mind, I mean, I'd like to hear a little bit about more about the changes. Um, you know, how hard was it to make those changes to your program? Because you just can't flip a switch. It's not how, you know, 8,500 kids, it's a lot of kids, but, you know, it's that's, still hard to turn a boat, no matter how big it is, Eight, whether yep. it's 850 kids, it's the same thing. So if you wouldn't mind, talk to me about how hard it was to, to, to change your food program, but also to maybe some of the hurdles that you, you know, you encountered that maybe you didn't, you know, obviously see coming perhaps. Sure. Well, I, it's definitely difficult. You know, I, I think anybody getting into this work because it's easy is, is going to be met with some sincere disappointment. That is, that is not what this is about. But what I can tell you is that it is absolutely worth it. And it goes back to that same start of 
what is it that we're doing? And is it serving the purpose that we've set out to achieve? And when it comes to feeding students, it's really important, the choices that we make in our procurement. So how easy is it to steer the ship? Well, it's, it's very difficult. Uh, it, it really is. It's very difficult. Uh, but it, it is absolutely of value and it is absolutely worth it. Um, how did we make some of the changes? Uh, one bite at a time, one step at a time, one choice at a time, one farm at a time. I think uh, when I see the um, districts that are leading the, the farm to school movement and I see all of the incredible and amazing things that they're doing, that we're doing, it didn't happen overnight. I can tell you that no matter what, it, even Chef Ann, it, it didn't happen overnight. No it way. definitely takes, um, it takes a vision. It takes a commitment to that vision and it takes an understanding of everyone on the team to go in that direction. For us, it was a lot of this local food. We're on this scratch cooking journey where, you know, we have visions of wanting to do everything ourselves in house from scratch. And I've met a lot of hurdles that say, well, guess what? That is, uh, that is a challenge. Uh, things that I didn't even expect. So with the 52% increase in meal participation, not only do you need more food, uh, but you also need more labor. You need more people to produce that food. You need more space to store that food. You need more refrigeration and freezer units. You need more power to run those things. I tell you all of this because I have learned this all the hard way. Uh, yeah. Today, I have a central kitchen, a central warehouse that we've overgrown. I have a 35-foot refrigerated trailer that sits out in my loading dock for surplus refrigeration. I just ordered an event trailer that will that will be a surplus freezer for us that was delivered yesterday. Uh, and now today I am hit with, hmm, do we have enough power to run the things that need to be plugged in for this surplus additional power and space? And so there's a lot of pieces that we just don't think about when we have these kinds of increases, um, but they're really important to stay committed to what our school food values are, to what... Uh, type of program that we want to run. And I think everything really does come back to how is this decision affecting students and how does this decision um, reflect our, our values? I, I, again, you've said so much. And the thing that, that I'll take the top that grasps my, my feeble brain, 52% increase in meals because it's not, you know, look, I look back and I was reflecting on this when I was talking with Ann and about putting this together in my mind, why I wanted to do it, what were my goals, what did I want to achieve by doing this? And I think about me as a kid back in the stone age, right? It wasn't brontosaurus burgers. It's not quite that old, but nonetheless, you know, the fish sticks with tater tots and the peaches that came into the container that was just, you know, sugar water and what the food was. And then looking at what folks like yourselves are doing and then you talk, you know, the instant word, a 52% increase, right? And you're not giving, you know, you're not, it's not happy meals. You're not getting prizes at the end. It's because the quality of food has changed, which in my opinion, probably drives a bigger communal change inside the cafeterias. Kids are more apt to be wanting to sit there. They're learning from each other. They're growing. They're developing those skills that you can't teach them in the classroom. And they're, you're sending them off in the morning to, you know, at lunch or in the evening, whatever it might be with this fantastic opportunity, the right energy, the right brain power, it's just unbelievable to me. I mean, 52%, come on. This it's is what wild. this is. That's why we're here. It's why we're that's doing exactly this. That's exactly why we're here. And I, I got to say, uh, you said two words that stuck out to me, and I, I want to add a little bit to this. So go. about five years ago, uh, I was asked to go to Washington, D.C. and speak about the Buy American provision. This is a provision in school food that says, hey, operators, 
Uh, you are federally and state funded. These are taxpayer dollars. And so we really want to make sure that you're buying American made goods. Great, right? That sounds great. I'm in. Uh, and so I went to DC to advocate about this and talk about what we were doing here at San Luis Coastal. What I learned during that trip is uh, two things that you mentioned, fish sticks and peaches. What I did not know is that most of the fish that is procured in school food is uh, is pollock or tuna. And a lot of times that fish is caught in uh, in further waters, Russian waters. They're caught on Chinese boats. And when we think about the process of these items, not only the boats that they're being fished on, but the care of those fishermen, the working conditions that they have, they're being then um, shipped to China for processing. Then they go back to a U.S. company and they're under an umbrella of a U.S. company's name, which is how we're able to buy that product in school food. Well, for me, um, I don't like that. I think that that's not the right way to do it. And that's a very stretch of a Buy American provision. And so I choose not to serve things like pollock or fish sticks because of the process and how it gets to our schools. The other piece on peaches and very specifically canned peaches, those clean peaches, um, it's really important that we're looking at domestic products. When I think about, uh, and, and the peach, peach, the USA Peach Clean Association um, was part of this dialogue in DC, uh, because districts are very, um, you know, budget focused. We want to make sure that we're buying the best quality, but also at the best price. And if we forget the quality piece and only land on price, we may be bringing in products to our operations that we are not intending. Very specifically, there is a market of uh, imports specifically around peaches and Chinese peaches. And when we think about the, the growing conditions on these farms, the people who are harvesting these items, it's very different than the farms that are here in the US. Thinking about things like PPE, personal protective equipment, that's not mandated in these other countries. Um, the types of chemicals and sprays that they use on these products. So I can get real soapboxy about these things, but to know that those two items in particular, to me, are hot button issues in school food because they are not guaranteed to be local. They're not guaranteed to have a fair livable wage for the workers that are that are providing these items, let alone safety conditions. And one of the things about my department and many other districts across the U.S. is that we have unions. We have unionized employees. It is incredibly important for my staff to have good working conditions, to be paired, to be paid fair livable wages. And if I am a taxpayer funded entity, why on earth would I take those dollars and support something that does not align with not only my food values, but with my staff and labor values? It's, not, it's a miss to me. And so that's not something that we choose to do because we really understand what's behind some of these products, which is why local is so important to us to know where our food comes from, to know that the growers and the farmers and the workers are being paid fair livable wages and they're able to work in, in safe conditions. Uh, love it. Very well said. Yeah. Know your food, know your farmer, right? Definitely. I think it's incredibly important. Great. You know what? And again, I love it. I love the perspective and it's exactly what this is about to draw attention to these issues that I do. I think what you just said, 9.5 people out of 10 will not know that that's actually real and, and, and part of part of the world that their kids are having lunch with today. Talk to me a little bit. You talked about the state and the feds. I want to kind of touch on it. Do the feds and the state have any say on what you can buy? I mean, do they say, hey, you have to buy this from here or something like that? I know they give you guidelines. And I know you kind of follow stuff, but can you talk this a little bit about- This is my favorite question. I got to be honest. This is my favorite question. I love this question because I actually get versions of this question a lot. And the, ver the virgins are, why 
why are you able to do this? How are you able to do this? Um, but it doesn't happen at the school district in my area. I don't see this happening at my kids' school district. And what I want to say is that all school districts, all public school districts who are participants in the National School Lunch and Breakfast Programs, they are federally funded and state funded. That, that's a taxpayer funded, um, you know, that's right. taxpayer funded dollars. So thank you to all the taxpayers out there for funding our programs. We, we certainly appreciate that. Uh, but I think it's important to know that while we have regulations, we have rules, we are all subject to the same rules, we are all subject to the same um, regulations, what we choose to buy can vary greatly from district to district. And there's reasons for that. There are some districts who um, do not have the facility and the infrastructure to do scratch cooking. They may only have uh, limited heating sources. They may not have uh, the, the refrigeration or the freezer space that they need, the equipment, the smallers, the sheet pans that they need. There may be other districts who um, don't have a lot of staff. You may have um, a few number of staff to, to manage a large number of, uh, of student meals. And so there's many reasons as to why you may choose a different product. Uh, but for us, we want to choose not, not just buy American provision items, you know, things that are domestically grown and, and produced, but we really want to look within our local county. Um, there's some incredible data on when you spend money in your local economy, I think it's something like 80 cents to the dollar stays within your local area. That's mm -hmm. significant. That's important. Absolutely. Um, when, we, when we talk about, you know, over the pandemic, I mentioned we were sending home a block of cheese in these in these boxes that we were sending home, a weekly meal kit. And one of the, the creameries that we worked with is a local creamery. And they said to me, man, had you not purchased all that cheese from us? I would have had to lay people off. It was our low time, a, a time where I typically don't have a full staff. But because of the school district's purchases, we didn't have to lay anyone off this year for seasonal work. So that's the kind of impact that buying local can have, that you can actually sustain businesses in your county. A lot of times these are moms and dads that either own these businesses or parents of, of students in the district who work at these locations. So we're not just helping kids eat something really delicious today. We're actually ensuring the livelihood of our families far beyond what they're eating for lunch today. Unreal. That's just, I'm glad I asked that question. <laughs> that was a good one. That was such a good one. But we really, you know, we can we can choose what items that we want to serve. So one of the things is like a grain. We we have to all serve a 51% or greater whole grain rich item. So that's, uh, you know, a pizza crust, a sandwich bread. And so we've, able to, we've been able to partner with the local bakery uh, and they produce almost all of the bread products that we serve, which is absolutely incredible. And even at that, we still want to make things ourselves in in house from scratch. Now, I may not be producing loaf bread, sliced bread, burger buns. I'm going to leave that for my bakery. Uh, but we're now exploring making a house made cinnamon roll so that we can control um, the sugar content. We can control uh, more of the nutritional pieces around that, and then have that delicious smell and um, you know fragrance of warm baked cinnamon rolls come out. So it's really trying to be strategic about how we menu and how we procure. Um, but I think because we are federally funded and taxpayer funded, that's even more onus for us to make these connections and ensure that we are, you know, responsible for for these taxpayer dollars that we're spending in an appropriate way. And I'm not sure that that's a lens that that many other operators have. No, I, I it's not. And again, that's why I'm just so stoked to have this platform <laughs> going to talk about this. So you've you, you framed up that you're seeing a 52 percent, if I got the number right. 
you know, serving more meals now. That certainly says that kids are taking advantage of the program. But here's here we go. Hundred dollar question right now. Granted, yeah, they're eating more meals, but there can be a very you know a lot of reasons for that. How are the kids responding to this? What are you hearing? I mean, come on, let's just get right to the critics. They what do you hear? They love it, and what they love is that. Um, they, they're proud of the food that we serve. Uh, I even have staff members who say, you know, I would pay money for this food at a restaurant. And I think that's, what's really exciting is that kids know, they know, and they will tell you, they know what tastes good. They know what they like to have. And so when we're, when we're purchasing things like local grapes and local berries, and they're seeing that in a local cheese box made with cow poly cheese. And, you know, it's, it's really exciting because when I was growing up, the Food Network was just coming on, right? Like the, the culinary careers weren't really a thing uh, until Food Network came aboard. And then all sorts of kids were like, hey, I see these chefs. I see this. Bam. Like, bam, that could be me, right? And I think there's a lot more interest in culinary careers because of things like the Food Network. And so we really have this, this, um, these, these little foodies who want to participate in their school meal program, but I don't think we've always tapped into how we can allow them to do that. We really find that the more kids are involved, whether they're planting something in our school garden, whether they're um, tasting something in the lunchroom, we even have a couple of classes that uh, we call it kitchen lab. They are in a culinary class. Our central kitchen is at a middle school campus. And so they've got a, a culinary arts class. And once a week, we get a group of students. It's about four to five per week. They stay with us for a full week. And they actually come into the kitchen and help prepare whatever's going on that day. We had chocolate hummus going this week. Uh, sometimes they're just helping package whatever the lunch items are. But they actually are seeing what goes into their school meal program. They're getting to taste things as they're coming in. Uh, and I think it's really building a lot of respect to how hard it really is to produce all of these meals. And they take a sense of pride because they actually get to have their hand in in doing some of those things as well. That actually started because we were significantly understaffed and we've kept it because it's been such an asset both for us to have some extra hands uh, and for them, because they really feel like they're able to practice some of these things that they're learning in the classroom in a much realer way than uh, a kitchen station uh, in a classroom. Yeah, but they're not looking at it like work. They're looking at it like it's Correct. fun and the experience that they're getting. Correct. Yeah, no, I and where else do you get to eat your homework? I mean, it really yeah. <laughs> I love it. Great. Well, so, so you know, here, here's the, you know, one of the couple of, I got a couple hundred dollar questions, and this is the first one I want to throw at you. What's the feedback on the physical, mental, and behavioral improvements of the kids? Are you seeing things? I mean, you know, you can test scores are tough to do unless you're really going into a deep study to, to, to back it up. But I mean, you've got to be seeing change. You've got to be seeing a different attitude, bigger conversations, louder conversations in the cafeteria. I'm thinking longer time in the cafeteria. I don't know. Definitely. Tell me a little definitely. bit about what you're seeing about those Some things. of the metrics that we look at are, you know, our absentee rates. And we do see that kids are coming to school more frequently because, you know, a variety of reasons, but I think because they're being fed at school, because they're able to come and learn and not have this burden of what am I eating? Where is it coming from? Can I afford it? I think another big piece that I want to tap into is, is universal free meals. And we're very lucky in California to, to have this. Um, I, I don't think it's enough. I think we need to advocate for this nationwide. That really is the answer is universal free meals nationwide. When we take away the stigma behind free and reduced lunch meals, and we couple it with incredibly delicious foods 
that is the secret to an increase in meal participation. And it doesn't feel like that big of a secret. You have good food and it's free. Yeah, kids are going to want to line up and and eat that. What we're finding though, is that this destigmatization um, is much bigger than I think anyone intended or, or realized would happen. And what that means is you know, pre-pandemic, we, we had kids who were, quote, on the meal program. And you said things earlier about maybe that Friday meal might be their last meal before Monday. And so for that student, they had to come in and eat with us. That free meal was really important. But if it wasn't that good, or even if it was good and it was stigmatized, you have your paid kids going, I don't want to eat that. I want to go to the restaurant or I want to go to 7-Eleven. I want to go somewhere else and not participate in school food. Now that we have these incredible entrees, local red lentil dal or a Thai basil lentil burger, a Hearst Ranch beef, a grass-fed local beef burger, um, we have these, these options that kids really want. And now it doesn't matter who pays your lunch bill. It doesn't matter if you're free, reduced, or paid. What matters is that there's really delicious food in the cafeteria that everybody wants to eat. Uh, even our adults, our teachers, I think that's the big compliment too, is that we've got teachers and staff members that are like, how do I get that? I want to do that. Now it's not free for them, but, you know, I think that's a huge compliment and, you know, it's, it's a really big deal for the students who are socioeconomic disadvantaged, who don't have another choice to have students who have another choice, want to participate in the same items that they're accessing it really elevates the quality uh, and perception of the meal program and makes it a safe space for those who absolutely need it to not feel like they're called out or identified in any kind of way other than someone who really likes good food. I, you're just knocking it out of the park. I don't know. I got nothing. I'm just, I just need to sit down. You're taking the wind out of my life. I'm just, I'm weak in the knees right now. Just crushing. So here's my second hundred dollar question. And I think this one is the one that I, that to me is, probably made the most important one I've thrown at you so far. Tell me what the parents are telling you. Parents love this. Uh, it's funny. We, we taught a culinary, uh, a culinary arts program over the summer and we had this curriculum and kids were growing stuff on a tower garden and making these recipes in class. And I will tell you the biggest secret is the recipes we had them make uh, were things that they would see in the lunchroom. So this red lentil doll made with local organic red lentils from Kandarian Organic Farm. Uh, kids got to see the lentils. They got to meet the farmer. They got to make the doll. And then they saw it in the lunchroom. That sense of pride and ownership made them really excited. And then they're going home with a, with a recipe that they can bring home and share with their families. We also made a rainbow spring roll. And I definitely had a couple of parents reach out to me to say, hey, where do I buy spring roll rice paper wrapper? Uh, my kid went to your culinary class and, and has asked me to now put this on our, our grocery list and I don't actually know where to find this. And so I think it sparked a lot of really interesting conversations at home with kids who are sharing unique items with their own families. Uh, it's all really centered around delicious and healthy foods and sometimes some unique things. Uh, we actually were purchasing the rice paper from a local Oriental market. It's, it's called Oriental Market and it's in Slow. And uh, I don't think that that would be something that I would normally think about in farm to school or local procurement. But we've been able to purchase all of these unique Asian ingredients, things like red curry paste and coconut milk and um, you know, minced ginger, things that I may not be able to get from a regular distributor, 
I can actually go to my local mom and pop shop. This one happens to be a, an Asian specialty store and I can support their business. I can give them my federal dollars and say, Hey, I want rice paper wrappers. And, you know, it's, it's another way for us to tune in to our local communities and think about local food and local procurement in ways that are far beyond an apple or a head of lettuce. Well, I love the fact that you're doing that. And, and, you know, mom and pop grocery store might have two kids in school too. And they right? do. They have three. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Exactly. Right. And, 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 but again, you come from a perspective now of being able to bring culture from around the world into your, into schools and teaching kids what this is and giving them that backstory and getting them involved. And I would imagine that their willingness to try food, you know, instead of like, no, I don't want that mentality because it's not a French fry. It, there's gotta be a willingness for these kids to try. Because, definitely. yeah, I would think that they're stepping up and giving everything away. They may not like everything, which you got to, you know, that, that's that's part of life. But at the end of the day, they're willing to try. I think it's just absolutely amazing. And let's be honest, you guys are laying the groundwork for the next round of customers that are going to be in grocery stores buying food. And if we can start now, this is the whole point behind what I want to do with Lunchtime Heroes is that we can start now to make these positive changes in our kids' trajectories, the benefits to our nation, the benefit to our global community is we can't even, you can't even frame it up at this point because you can't even figure out what the healthcare costs alone are going to be in savings if we can get this right and start getting That's kids to, to look away from, you know, what I call the big three, sugar, salt, and fat and chart to get, you know, stop letting those cravings, start letting those, those, those three ingredients tell your taste buds to tell your brain you're not full anymore and you need more of it. It's so important. And I think it's incredibly impactful. I mean, you literally, I mean, what, what you shared today is literally the backbone of what I want to try to accomplish with this and why we're doing it. So tell me what's next for you guys. What do you have something exciting on the horizon other than, I mean, you're going to keep kicking indoors. That's, there's no doubt that Aaron's not going to be kicking indoors, folks, in case you're wondering. <laughs> it's so true. And, uh, you know, I will say that we, we have some very exciting information to share. Uh, last week was National School Lunch Week. And part yeah. of our celebration uh, was an announcement we are Eat Real certified at the silver level. We are the first district in California to achieve that certification, only the second in the nation to Boulder Valley. Shout out. Nice. <laughs> we, we are among colleagues, esteemed colleagues here. Uh, and so Eat Real is a nonprofit organization. They help school districts with how to do some of this, what's kind of the roadmap to farm to school and local procurement and really ensuring a menu transparency. And uh, right now we're really looking at lowering sugar in our breakfast items, something that is near and dear to your heart. Uh, and, uh, and we are seeing a need for manufacturers and industry to, to catch up and to help us adapt and help us find these products. Again, going back to local is super important. We've worked with our local bakery to have a, a reduced sugar muffin. It actually is chocolate chip and it meets our 12 grams of sugar per two ounce uh, serving requirement that uh, is now something that we are are doing with the Eat Real program. And so we announced Eat Real Certified uh, last week, and it's really helped shepherd and guide our menu and our choices and kind of what we're all about. And I think that's what's really next for us is, is leaning into this kind of certification. I like to think of it as Michelin stars for school food. Yeah. Um, and it's sharing. I think the best thing about school food is that unlike a restaurant where we're competing for customers, that's not how it is in school food. What works for me, what, what goes well here in my district with my students, I want to share that with other districts so that it can in turn possibly work for, for their program and their students. Uh, when we share recipes, when we share vendors, when we share what's working and, and how to replicate that, 
it makes it better for everyone. Uh, I have yet to hear of a student who transfers districts because the food is so good. I would love that. That would be a huge compliment, but that's not how it works. So the more that we can share with each other, the more that we can ensure that we all have access to how to do this, uh, I think the better it is for all of our kids. And I would love nothing more than to see uh, farmers be the new celebrities. You know, we have kids that meet a farmer in school and then show up to farmer's market and are like, hey, mom, that's Larry Kandarian and I tasted farro and let's buy some. It's, it's so much bigger than what they're eating for lunch today. And I, I'm with you. I think this is how we ensure the success and, and the longevity of our local farms and food businesses. I, I think this is the way. Well, you know, a hundred percent. And I think it's, 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 it's a conversation that we can have and we are having based on this platform on a national level, talking about anywhere, embracing these ideas. And, and you said it so beautifully that you're not in competition. What we're in competition with is our future. And that's what we all have to be mindful of. So we're all competing for our future and our future start really with our kids because old farts like me, it is what it is. You can step to change this boat and turn people around and get them to change but we've got to buy into the kids. We've got to buy into the next generation because there's 9.5 billion people plus the aliens coming by 2050. And I don't know how the hell we're going to pull that off. Right. And we've got to make these positive choices, you know, whether it's, it, it covers so, so much. Aaron, I am so blown away about what you all are doing and the framework that you have given people through this platform to, to take a hard look at what they're doing in their schools and how they can get involved and start these conversations. I think something you said that I want to touch on that was so brilliant it is one step at a time, and it is not just flip a switch. I talk about this all the time about building that first step, that bottom rung of the ladder, make it the most secure, and you can climb up anywhere and wobble a little bit, but that bottom rung is strong. It works out like a champ, and I think you guys have done that beautifully. I've just blown away. Thank you for being here today. You are so welcome, and, and I want to say that it is so one step at a time. We started with, uh, with one purchase back in the day. Uh, and I'm just looking at our growth year over year, and I am absolutely thrilled to tell you that we have increased over 413% year over year with our direct farm purchasing. And so it is possible, but do not be discouraged if you're starting small. I think that the other beautiful thing is that local lives wherever you are and whatever you can find in your own backyard and what's growing on in your area. That's what local is for you. Buy that thing, promote that thing, bring that farmer out. Uh, it doesn't have to be every single thing. And, you know, we get a lot of wonderful things out here in California, but I know that there are delicious blueberries in Maine and, and there's so mm -hmm. many other things across this incredible nation. And I, I really encourage operators to just look in their own backyard and make those connections, go to the farmer's market, find what you can. It may not be fruits and vegetables. It may be grain or beef or some other kind of meat, meat alternate. So it's exciting to see that there's so much abundance in the world. And I really hope that schools can pave the way for being real institutional buyers that can make a difference in our in our entire food system. Drop the Sharpie, kids. <laughs> We're ending on that note. I can't top that. But you're right. Let's get involved. Folks, reach out to me if you need it. You know how to find me. I'm not hard to get to, right? I'm, I'm on social media like the Kardashians. You can get to me. Let's uh, let's keep the conversation rolling. I'll put you in contact with who you need. And let's we need to do this. We need to elevate these conversations. So, Aaron, much love for me to you and your staff and every one of your kiddos for what you're doing. I, I'm just really, you just, you've touched my heart immensely. And I'm just thrilled to death that we got to share this story with everybody. I really do appreciate you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for being number one, by the way. Thank you, Todd. This I'd has been to, an absolute I'd, pleasure. I'd hate to be number two to come in behind you. I don't know who it's. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's be like, oh crap, I got to do better. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for sharing with us. 
Everybody, thank, thanks for being here and listening. Lunchtime Heroes, check them out. We're going to be throwing them at you uh, periodically. We're going to keep these stories elevated. We want to keep talking about it. You need help, get involved, reach out. We'll put you in contact with the right people. They're certainly going to be listing our social media stuff as we promote this show and get this message out there. Remember, inspiration is such an important thing. I believe in it. I talk about it all the time about going out and inspire somebody. If Aaron's words and what she's doing does inspire you to just ask a question about what your kids are doing at school for food, I'll let me know. I'll come. I'll come ask the question for you. I don't care because we got to do this. So thanks for being here. Check us out. Social media, TLC underscore conversations. Much love to the Chef Ann Foundation for their support and helping us put this together. And thanks, Aaron. You're the best. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Todd. Take care, everybody.